It's a sensitive, delicate deal, dragging brand new songs out of the sky. Trading ideas, accepting some, storing others in the maybe later bag, moving on and along with hardly a plan. During the Zep years, I never imagined a full-scale album project without the other guys, and even less the idea of new writing partners. But then, since 1981, I've enjoyed many amazing, exciting musicians in the sharing, in the writing, in production and engineering. Men and women who encouraged and enlightened, introducing me to crazy curves I could never have imagined. For this podcast, I'm going to be picking out some songs from here and there along the way, mixing constant shifts in sound and intention from across this long, old time. There's a story in all of them. I'm Robert Plant, and this is Digging Deep. Hello, my name is Matt Everett, and this, as you just heard, is Digging Deep, episode 13. We are back, and as always, we're here to journey together into Robert Plant's back catalogue, past and present, familiar and obscure up main highways and lesser-travelled tracks. Each week, alighting on a different song, and we'll hear Robert explain the stories behind each one. What makes this series a bit different is that it was recorded live in front of an audience. As to mark the release of the Digging Deep 7-inch vinyl box set, Robert and I did a live Digging Deep at the Rough Trade East Record Store in London. So these episodes have a different vibe to them. Incidentally, the Digging Deep box set playlist is available to stream online right now. So we start with a cover version, one that Robert recorded with a strange sensation for his 2002 album Dreamland, a song originally written in 1961, but it's had a long and fascinating history, both in terms of its subject matter, but also the number of people who've interpreted it. But first things first, introductions. Good evening. How's everyone doing? Excellent. That's a very good response. Uh, Thank you very much for coming along to Rough Trade East for this very special event uh, marking the release of the brilliant Digging Deep box set. I could give a really big introduction here, but there's really absolutely no point. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Mr. Robert Blunt. Hey, hiya. Good to see you. Thank you. Nice to be seen again. How's your year been so far? Fast. <laughs> yeah, it's um, just doing things and finding that you actually haven't done enough kind of thing. So I've been touring with a little group of people that have become uh, part of my life recently. It's a little kind of psychedelic folk group called Saving Grace, which are magnificent people who are adventuring into the world of obscure Americana and uh, spook type of psychedelia. So we're playing a lot of very, very small gigs. Nobody knows about it, really. We just sold out Whitley Bay in five minutes this morning. (laughs) So what we're going to do, we'll be talking through some songs this evening and kind of uh, picking out different points uh, across your career and work thus far. Sound like a good idea? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of songs. And, well, I think, I think the thing is when you and I started having conversations that, about various aspects of songs and various other musicians and the, the kind of the themes, you know, this is not a Leonard Cohen situation. It's not the beauty of esoteric poetry. It's about a guy trying to stamp something after something huge, 
just making various sort of tangential departures in the, and being affected all the time by whatever might have been appealing in current contemporary music in those different eras. So um, when it got to 2010, I stopped being embarrassed by the 80s uh, because... Um, and uh, I think I might have been a bit rash and perhaps hurried into that. But... Um, yeah, so there's several different kinds of, many different kinds of freedom and expression. And we all carry our kind of limitations of what we can and can't shoot for, you know. Um, I, I read somebody said that I went up a lot of blind alleys. Uh, yeah. Oops. And, uh, and fell into a dustbin. <laughs> but, you know, this is ridiculous, really, because I love all them songs and I... Um, well, most of them. And uh, embarrassment is not appropriate. If you're going to put yourself out there, you can. You just got to go with it. So um, there are a lot of really oblique moves which are not profound, but they were full of joy and inspiration at the time. And uh, a lot you've never even heard it. Yeah. This is beautiful. This is from Dreamland in 2002. This is Morning Dew. This is a song I, I'd, I'd heard many times covered by many people, but I didn't really know the whole story behind it. It's a fascinating yeah. It's a cover version. Well, you can explain the kind of the background of this, well, of this yeah, tune. A lot of people have done it. The Dead did a great version of it. Spooky Tooth were doing it when I was with Bonzo and the Band of Joy. And um, talking of which, I mean, times were always pretty hard in the Band of Joy. Um, nobody liked us. And, uh, really? Well, we did, but but <laughs> but that was apart from some people in Tintagel uh, and Kikardi. There was not many people like this. But um, so we always played second fiddle to a lot of the progressive rock bands that were around. And uh, and one of those guys who was on a on a, a kind of high then was a guy called Tim Rose. And Tim was he was in a group called the Big Three with Mama Cass in the mid '60s, like a kind of folk adventure out in California, I do believe. And um, Tim was tra traveling around England. He cut Morning Dew on, on CBS and uh, I got a loneliness and stuff like that. And Band of Joy were heading for another kind of grand finale and I knew something was going on when Bonzo wanted to take his drums out of the van to clean them. Uh, so he and joined Tim Rose the next day and uh, I went looking for another one of Bonzo's. So Tim Rose was singing this song, and I used to go and watch John with Tim. It was good fun, you know. And uh, I, it was always a very strong song, you know, and I was really enamoured by it because it's, it was born, if you like, at the time when, I guess, the American folk move, movement and youth culture was very, very 
determined and gritty and, and in an ascendance. Uh, so I always wanted to sing this song and uh, did so many times anyway. So it, when it was time to record it with Strange Sensation, it was on our first adventure. Uh, and most of the album was, they were all covers anyway, and this is something I always wanted to do. The record had come out, did what it made some sort of splash in Wolverhampton, and then um, I got a knock on the door one day, as oblique as this story is. And a woman, uh, I opened the door, and there was a woman there, and she said, My name's Bonnie Dobson, I wrote Morning Dew. And I went, Oh, what? And as it happens, Tim Rose had done a deal with her on some level that she didn't quite understand the deal. So his name was always on the credits, and we found out that it was in fact she that wrote it, and he did some publishing deal. So I helped her um, and made a bit of a fuss, and she was able to regain her position as the writer of uh, Morning Chew. So I was really pleased about that, but years later, um, we were playing at the festival hall uh, in a, a tribute evening for Bert Yanch, and I managed to... Um, sort of introduced the idea of Bonnie coming on. It was her great return, because she came out and everybody went, well, she played the Newport Folk Festival with, on the same bill as Mississippi Fred McDowell, or, you know, and then suddenly she was back, you know, and she's, uh, she, well, she did enough maneuvering to be able to get the credit that she needed. And there we are, the song resonated. It is the youth culture at its peak of eloquence, if you like, in America. About the uh, about everything that we know so much about now, war and the effects on all of us socially and uh, emotionally and psychologically. Yeah, that's it. It, it. She she spoke about it being um, a dialogue between the last man and woman alive after some sort of global catastrophe, and being sort of unable to go outside because of the wreckage yeah. that's been left behind. I think was it like the first or second song she ever wrote or something. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And she's very, you know, she's on the scene playing, you know. She's good. She's great. And she goes to the marches a lot as well. She moves through Shropshire and Herefordshire and she's around some of those mystics up there. So I heard a young girl cry today Oh, I did not hear no young girl cry Mom, mom, mom I did not hear And that Dreamland album, which was 2002, tell me a bit, I mean, you mentioned it's almost it's these songs that you've chosen to mm. kind of cover. I think that was it. I was just suddenly able to get away from being the other Robert, fulfilling some kind of obligation that allowed me to play to a lot of people. And it's just like, let's just do something. There's so many great songs. I wonder if I can get my chops around them. And really, what happened further on with Alison Krauss and, and with the Band of Joy, well, there were so many really pretty songs. 
that I hadn't got a hope in hell of getting near the, the emotive tools because these songs are all from different times. You know, they come from different places. And the, uh, the, the sort of pa the power of the writers it's, and where, where, the, where everything was at at the time was always different. So, you know, impossible to compete with it, really, or not even compete with it. It's just a great place. Yeah, so the, that whole thing, and also with um, Strange Sensation, who morphed into the same guys called Space Shifters, everybody was up for that. You know, the first track was us in f full flight, you know, and then from there on into, you know, Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar and Carry Fire and all that stuff, which is really going somewhere pretty dramatic for, for us mere mortals and um, so that was our kind of coming together the communion of all these gifts uh, all coming from different places and doing that so that was a good little um, canvas to start that meant we could go out on the road too and go to small towns in Sweden <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean that's exactly what we did we went I had a group before that called uh, the Priory of Brian not Zion, but Priory O'Brien, and uh, it, it sadly expired in midstream, so we had some gigs to fulfill. So we went off and played small fields in outside Malmo. Yeah. That early bit where, you, where you're kind of assembling people, I, I presume that's something that, that you really enjoy when you start to fit these musicians together and they start to interlock with each other. That seems to be like there's a lot of joy in that for you, seeing that... Well, I'm not assembling anybody. I'm just hoping they'll stick around until lunch. Because, you know, you can't always be... I'm no sort of ringleader or... I make a very shoddy boss because... Really? Yeah. Well, I'm I go all over the shop trying to explain things. You know my history. It's been difficult explaining myself for so long. So try and do that to four musicians who don't know you. They're going, what's this guy on about? Well, we'd go to the Atlas Mountains, but only in our spirit. Is it a bit like that sometimes? Most mornings. <laughs> yeah. It's either that or the black country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there is this, as I say, there's the, the belief in the idea of a band. Yeah. It's never, ever felt like you're at the, what oh. you call it? You're at the front end, everyone else is in the steam room. It's always felt like... Well, you're not going to really... You can sing ditties, you can sing songs, you can take your gift to some limit as far as you can go. But if you're not actually in... If the epidermis isn't a shared place, then what have you got? You know, you have to... You know, you have to... Everybody has to get everything out of everybody, you know. And I think with Strange Sensation, that was a magnificent and will continue one day again. And it's to be spectacular and as everybody matured and felt more comfortable around each other then the writing really took off mm. and when we finished on uh, I think it was All Souls Day we played um, uh, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass in San Francisco our last show on that run and uh, it was just insane it was really great we had this girl called Lily May from, uh, from America who Lily May Reish, she played with Jack, Jack White a lot and, uh, and a fiddle player. And it was just insane. And it was also, everybody's senses were heightened because we knew this was, we were going to stop at this point and take a breath. And the amount of weed in the crowd 
the skunk out in California was just it was a really great gig but it was there was no tuna melt it was I was so hungry everybody was starving playing this really far out transcendental skippy music and going starving jeez what am I going to do now I started chewing my tongue and I know that doesn't look good on an older man yeah it's sort of it's great yeah and there was, uh, you know, Jack Cassidy from the airplane, you know, and uh, yeah, some really serious people there. Um, but it was insane. It was just, you know, magnificent to see, to be in the middle of what I think of my peers, proper peers, you know, yeah. and uh, around those far out people there who never finish, never stop. Never stop. Never stop. What's to stop for? A home match. That was episode 13 of Digging Deep, the very start of our special live season. And next episode sees Robert tackling a song inspired by a visit to a strange spot in the Californian desert, a place that isn't always what it seems. And we also have some questions from you guys. Until then, we hope you and yours are staying safe. I've been Matt Everett. Thanks for listening. This has been a Cup and Nuzzle production. <laughs>